many of you have been uh, with us long enough in this series that you know what every one of those symbols are? As it goes along. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Kind of fun to see it and realize I know that was back here. And we're in a timeline series. We're trying to give you the whole Bible in 12 weeks. Genesis to Revelation. They're all online if you miss some weekends. But I have had a blast doing this. Our teaching team has loved it. We've had good feedback. And so I just want to encourage you. We're really trying to understand the Bible. It's the story of God. What does all of that mean? Today we're looking at... The coming of Jesus. What does it mean to actually believe and know that the Messiah that they had longed for finally came to this earth? Now we have the privilege of talking about this on what we call Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is special because it's the Sunday that Jesus was going into Jerusalem. And it was a very rare moment that the whole city basically proclaimed him as the Messiah. He would eventually go to the cross and die for that. But in this moment on Palm Sunday, they cut palm branches down. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. And they put them on the street, on the road, and they began to fan them. They took their cloaks off and laid them on the ground out of respect, out of love. And they started saying, Son of David, which was, if you've been in this series, you get that. They are recognizing that the Messiah is coming out of the lineage of David as the Lord had promised, and they're recognizing it, some for the very first time. Oh, my goodness, this is the guy. This is him. This is the Messiah that we have been waiting for for a long time. So in this series, we talked about creation. Clear back in the beginning, when Adam and Eve were created by the Godhead, and they had this perfect scenario called Eden. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? You just walk around naked. (laughs) Eat all the food you want. That just sounds like a blast, doesn't it? And and you just eat and you're happy and nothing's wrong. And God said, hey, make yourselves at home. Just don't eat from that one tree right there. Human nature, right? You say to your kid, don't touch that. So they did. They got thrown out of the garden. Sin began this awful curse over mankind. And and from that day forward all the way, the people of Israel had this huge exodus. They were slaves for over 400 years in Egypt. God worked really hard to get them out of there. And Moses, the exodus, if you were here, you know the story. Then we have this promise that there is going to be a king who's going to come. He's the Messiah. He's going to come out of this lineage. And then we had all the kings. You look at at King Saul and and David and Solomon and Rehoboam and and, and that whole journey of kings trying to be the savior of the Israelites, but nothing worked. They just kept going back to idolatry. They kept disobeying God. And then you had, like last week, Pastor Foth, the the prophets who who were trying to give warnings. Like, you guys, come on. Don't worship idols. Repent. Come to God. He's, he wants to be your God. And we pick it up today where finally Jesus comes as the Messiah. Now, I don't know if you've ever really longed for something before. You ever remember, even especially as a kid, but even now as an adult, I, my first kind of memory of longing for something besides like dinner, <laughs> you know, as a kid when you're hungry, was I was like 13 or 14. I had this job in this mechanic shop scraping the floor with a little scraper. The grease, I made like a dollar an hour. And I had saved it up to have $100. 
because I wanted a Schwinn 10-speed bicycle. And my mom took me down to the Schwinn bicycle shop, and I ordered. I got to pick my color. I picked orange. And it was beautiful. And I saw it in the catalog, and I fell in love with it. It was a God moment. <laughs> and I saw that Schwinn bicycle, 10-speed, and I, I put my money down, and I said, I want that one. They took my money. They rang it up, and I'll never forget this moment. He said, it'll be here in about two weeks. <laughs> I remember looking up at my mom and be like, I'll be dead by then. <laughs> two weeks, are you serious? But I have the money right now, right here. Well, we don't have it. We have to order. I remember every day going, okay, just 12 more days, just 10 more days. This countdown until finally I got the bicycle. That longing, that longing, or it's a vacation, um, that you look for as a kid and you look forward to it and you're hoping that someday you can have it. Today, that is exactly what's happening with the people of Israel. They want so bad to have a king who will save them. They want a savior like we were, we were singing about. They somehow want to believe that there's a way for them to have this hope that God actually cares about who they are. So there's this, there's this passage when John wrote his gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he starts it different than all the other Matthew, Mark, and Luke gospels. And this is what he says in John 1, verse 1. He's basically calling Jesus the word, both spoken and being lived out. And it says this, in the beginning, referring to beginning, beginning, the word already existed, meaning Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He's talking about the fact that Jesus was from the beginning all the way through to eternity. He was there. As a matter of fact, in Genesis it says of the Godhead, we're a, we're a, a triune, we believe in the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here at Timberline. That's why even in Genesis it says, let us make man in our own image. Jesus was there, and it was be, they've existed since before time began. We go to the creation of the beginning of time, but they always were. <laughs> That's weird. When I think about that, I can't get my head quite around. For some reason, I can understand eternity like it never ends because it goes this way, but to keep going back and say there's no beginning, it just doesn't make sense, but it's true. And John is trying to help them say that. So let me just, let's jump into the outline. If you have a program, turn it to the back and write this down. Number one, significant words would be these three words, in the beginning. In the beginning. The moment these words were written and the Jewish audience read them, where did it take them? It took them to Genesis. Because they knew the law. And they knew the book of Genesis, and they knew. What are the first three words of the Bible? In the beginning. What is John doing? John's doing this intentionally. 
And he's saying, I'm about to tell you about the Messiah, the promised king who will deliver his people, but you have to know this. He was there way back in the beginning. That's important because of the theology that goes with it for the forgiveness of sin. He's fully God. So if you get that right, then you can understand the sequence of things that happen as we move, as we move along. Number two in your outline, waiting creates longing and anticipation. I've talked some about this already, but I want to just further drive this point home because I don't think we can emphasize it too much that Israel constantly wanted a king. They were waiting for a king. They were praying for a king. They did sacrifices for a king. They wanted someone who would deliver them, and they desperately needed it. Um, if, if you're married and you have ever had an anniversary, I don't, I don't know how it is with you, but Bonnie and I, every now and then, we plan a special anniversary. I mean, we'll move from burgers to steaks on the grill. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Every, every now and then, we will have a special plan. I remember this one year, we had, we planned almost a year ahead. And we were so excited. We anticipated. We looked forward. Whenever I was having a bad day or week or things weren't right, I'd always think to myself, oh, I know what's coming. And I can't wait until that day. And I would anticipate it and look forward to it. There's nothing better. I have a friend named Joel uh, Schmidtgall, who is an executive pastor in a church out in the D.C. area. Now, they have a, a wonderful family, many children, and one of his daughters um, wanted a puppy so bad. I mean, for five years, she asked them for a puppy, and he kept saying no because he's a mean father. <laughs> Sorry, Joel, I'm kidding. He's an awesome dad. But they just didn't want the whole dog thing in their house and all that. And they have all these kids and there's enough going on. And, and I get that. But he just really, he, he just finally, finally last year, she wrote a letter to Santa. Because God was not getting it done. <laughs> right? That's how it works, Right? And in her letter, it was the sweetest thing ever. She said, Santa, I just need you to tell me the truth. Am I on the naughty list? <laughs> How sad is that? Because for five years, I've asked you for a puppy. And I've never gotten one. So Joel, his wife, they broke down. And for Christmas, they got her a puppy, and they surprised her. And I have a little video clip of when they presented. Now, I want you to notice. I want you to think about the longing that she's had for five years. She has longed for this moment. And I want you to see what happens as they give her the puppy. Super tight. Can you please stop it, you guys? Can we? Can we open? You can open. <laughs> you got me a puppy! You got me a puppy! You got me a puppy! I'm so happy! <laughs> I'm so happy! <laughs> oh, that makes me cry! I, I, it's crazy! <laughs> How many are you gonna go get a puppy after church today? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so, 
What, what was going on with her? Why was she crying? This was, this was a release. It was just this emotional something that happened because finally, after all the want and all the desire and all the longing, there is a puppy. That's Israel. Israel is longing. They want, they need. And so when the Messiah, when it was announced the Messiah has come, it was just a shockwave. They, many, that's why many couldn't believe it because he didn't come as an asteroid coming from the sky in big grandeur glory. He came as a baby. And they didn't get that. So that many of them missed it. But that's what they wanted. That's what they were longing for. I thought it was really funny. Joel, Joel they named the dog Reese. And he said, it's short for responsibility. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, I know that we're in a great era to live, but I don't think we can fully appreciate what it was like for people to long for a Messiah and have him actually come. We sit here now, we know all the story, the facts, how it happened, and we kind of go, oh, great, Jesus came. But I want to tell you something, it's a big deal that he came. It's a real big deal. Number three, the power of prophecy. Now, this is kind of a whole nother, this, this moves away from kind of the emotional pull of wanting and longing for the Messiah to more of a science math. Um, and I love science, I love math, I like it when things work, I like that one plus one equals three. And, and you, 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 I'm kidding. But this idea that there's, there's common sense in the Bible. So I want to, there's eight prophecies that I want to just take a quick look at. I won't bore you. I'm not going to break all these down. We don't have time for that. But I just want to give you a feel for the legitimacy of the Bible. If, if you're here today and you go, I don't know about this whole thing, the God thing, the Bible thing. Great. I'm so glad you're here. Because explain this. So there's eight prophecies. That happened. What are prophecies? Let me just give you this first. First of all, Bible prophecy around Jesus, the Messiah, is typically referring to a prophet in the Old Testament. Now keep in mind, hundreds of years before the Messiah came. In some cases, over a thousand years. So they're saying stuff that actually would come true in the life of the Messiah. And they're saying it way before they even know how it's going to happen. Now that's a risk. If you say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, then you're a liar. But let me just, let's throw that up on the screen. Let's just look at it for a minute. We're going to keep this up here for a minute. This will also be online if you want to pause it when you watch this. If you want all these references, you feel free to help yourself to them. So the Messiah would come from the, the line of Abraham. That was prophesied. We, we talked about this right here in this room. Genesis 12, Genesis 22. It's fulfilled in the New Testament thousands of years later. That actually happened. It's prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The, the prophet Micah is the one who said, how do you name a city that the Messiah is going to be born in? All these hundreds of years before he's even born. That's risky. Well, it happened. That's exactly where he was born. Matthew 2, Luke 2. The Messiah would be born a virgin. And that's stepping out on the edge if you're a prophet. <laughs> Don't you think? Oh, yeah, it's going to be a virgin. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. Stone him, you know. 
It happened. Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Are you kidding? I could see if it said they're going to be betrayed because all of us at some point in our lives are betrayed. But for 30 pieces of silver, I mean, that's getting right down to the detail in a number that is exact hundreds of years before the Messiah would be betrayed. But it happened exactly like Zacharias said it would happen. The Messiah would be mocked. Psalm 27, it happens. Luke 23, the Messiah would be crucified with criminals. The Messiah would have pierced hands and feet. This was stated by a prophet, and it actually happened. And then the Messiah would die with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. Isaiah said that, and it really does take place. You look at these prophecies and you think, wow, that's impressive. How could all of this happen? Here's here's what I like about this, and I think it's pretty amazing. There's a mathematics and astronomy professor named Dr. Peter Stoner, who loves this kind of stuff. And he decided he would figure out the chances of all eight of these prophecies actually happening happen to happen. What are the chances of all of them coming true? Because it's not just one guy doing eight prophecies. These are prophets hundreds of years apart. And, and they're saying this and this and this and details. What are the chances of that happening? And here's what he came up with. It's one in 10 to the 17th power. How many of you, that means nothing to you? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain it in a way that I think you can understand. How many of you have ever been to Texas? I'm sorry. (laughs) Just kidding. I like Texas. I'm just kidding you. It's big, though. It's really big. Someone told me, though, if you smashed Colorado flat, it'd be bigger. I don't know. (laughs) Don't really want to rub it in. Don't want to get into it. I don't know. I'm just, just saying... So if you went to the state of Texas and you had some silver dollars, they're what, that big around maybe? You had some silver dollars and you put one right on the corner of the, the line, right, right in Texas, and then you put another one that touched it and another one that touched that one and another one touched that one and you kept building silver dollars and you went across the entire state of Texas two feet deep. And you took one of those silver dollars and you put an X on both sides. And you took a few days on a journey and you walked out wherever you felt happy and you buried that silver dollar with an X on it somewhere. It could be on the ground level, in the middle, wherever you wanted. And then you blindfolded someone and you gave them a week or two to wander around and they happened to stumble upon, dig down in the right spot and pull out that silver dollar with the X on it. That's the chance of all eight of these prophecies coming true. I don't think it's very hard to believe in the Bible. People say, oh, it takes faith to believe in Jesus. I don't think so. It takes a lot more faith not to. Just think about that. These are powerful tools that we have. And this is, this is the clincher. I've just talked about eight prophecies that were fulfilled in the New Testament. Guess how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament that name specific things about the Messiah that actually come true in the New Testament? Anyone having an idea? It's over 300. It's over 300. 
So, so this is, what we're looking at here is magnificent. It's magnificent. It's powerful. It is beyond uh, the realm of human understanding. There is a God who has a plan. Number four, why does the Jesus story even matter? Why does the Jesus story matter? Well, in light of that science that we just talked about, in light of the prophecies, in light of what God wanted to do in his big plan, there's this moment in the New Testament when the angel comes to this little lady by the name of Mary. She's a young girl. We usually read this text around Christmas time, but, but today we get to read it on Palm Sunday. Couldn't be better. Verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. And just listen. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And by the way, yes, she's a virgin. And, and he will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Notice this. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Remember that promise? It's one of the prophecies. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. What's going on here? Jesus matters. This is a big deal. He's the Messiah that they've been longing for, they've been waiting for, and here's the deal. He's fully God who was in the beginning, who somehow yielded himself and submitted himself to go through the birth channel to put skin on and become fully human. He's the only person who's ever been fully God and fully human. And he was, and he did it because he would later lay down his life. What's this all about? Jesus ended animal sacrifices, and I'm glad because I don't like them. I hated that so many animals got massacred so that sin could be forgiven, but blood was required. There's life in the blood, and now Jesus says, I will lay down my life, my blood... The Son of God's blood, the fully man blood, will be offered. Jesus became a man so that he could understand us. He felt the confinement of man. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to go to the bathroom. He had to learn how to, how to handle temptation and lust and greed and pride. The Bible says he was hungry. He was tired. All these emotions, he, he fought all of these things. Why? So that he could be your Messiah. So that he could be the one who would come and rescue you. He's coming to our level. You know, whenever I talk to a child, one of the things I love is I love getting down at their level. And you look them in the eye and suddenly everything changes. You know, their, their neck isn't pinched back. And they're showing you what is in their hand. How many of you grandparents know it's not that easy getting down on the floor with your grandkids, right? But, but that's, what, that's what God did. God said, I want to I somehow see their real world because I want to be, I want to be their savior. I want to be their promised king. I want to be their Messiah. And he became the sacrifice for sin once and for all. He lays down his life willingly. That's why 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin to him, very important to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all wickedness. We're talking about a person, the person of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say the rest of this, this time we have together, I want you to get this right. 
this really matters because my faith that I have today, my faith is not in the Ten Commandments. Though I believe them. My faith is in a person. The person of Jesus, the Son of God. My faith is not in Christianity. I don't even like the term because of what it means to so many different people. My faith is in a person. The person of Jesus. My faith is not in an institution. My faith is in a person, the person of Jesus. My faith is not in a system that somehow promotes religion because that gets all screwed up really fast and all the rules and all the regulations and people don't want to come to Jesus because they think they have to be like someone they know that says they're a follower of Jesus, but they don't believe in that person. They don't want to be like that person. Let me tell you something. It's not contingent upon a system or that kind of stuff. It's contingent upon whether or not you believe in a person and he created you to be fully you and not someone else. So wear your hair however you want. Pierce your body where you want. Get a tattoo if you want. Walk the way you want. Put a shirt on that you like because you are the only you on the earth. Don't ever forget that. You're the only you. That's why our faith is not in some church. Our faith is in a person and he's our Messiah. And he's our savior. And suddenly I can believe in this person, this God-man who becomes my savior. Well, let me just quickly give you, let me just tell you what Foth says and then we'll do the last three things real fast. Why did Jesus come? I, I pondered this. Why did Jesus do all this? For, for you and me. I don't, I don't feel worth that. He thinks we're worthy of that. But Foth puts it like this. Don't you love Foth? And he lets us call him Foth. I know it's Dr. Foth, but he doesn't even like that. Anyway, he says this. Jesus left his place to come to our place to take our place so we could go to his place. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Fothisms. Hey, things to remember this week, real fast. Things to remember. I want you to remember, number one, that you're part of a bigger plan. You are part of something that God has in order, and you happen to be a part of that right now in 2018, the month of March, on this day. But there is a huge plan from Genesis to Revelation and forever that you're a part of. When you feel that this trial, this problem, this issue is so big, you can't face another day, I want you to step back and say, I am part of the plan of God that is big and lasts millions of years. And I'm in and I'm good because God knows what the future holds. God sees it all at a glance and he's with you. Don't ever forget that. And that's number two, you're never alone. You've heard me say it before because I have found it so valuable. The last thing Jesus said when he left the earth, he said, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. I'm going to send the spirit and he's going to walk. Paraclete is the Greek word. It means walk beside you. See, you can, you can try to run away, but the spirit is with you. 
because he's in you. You're never alone. You say, but I feel alone. You're not. Reach out by faith and say, I know you're here. I know, Spirit, you're here with me. Talk to him because Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He will be with us. And number three, your voice is powerful. I don't think John, who we read from today, had any idea that we would be talking about what he wrote down all those years ago. I don't think those prophets, when they spoke out and proclaimed those truths and many of them wrote these things down on tablets, I don't think they had any idea that a few thousand years later we would be sitting here in Fort Collins going, yeah, let's take a look at what they said back there. But their story matters. And what they say matters. And what they said impacts our lives. Can I just say, what you say, your story, your experiences, the fact that you can say to someone, this is why I believe in a man named Jesus has power in it. This is where I was. This is what happened. And this is where I'm going. Never be afraid to share your story. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to a moment like this so filled with thanksgiving that you came. Thanks for the coming of the Messiah. Wow. We love you. We're grateful. I want to make it really clear with heads bowed in these auditoriums. Maybe you've been confused by religion, by systems, by organizations. And today is a new understanding that this is about believing in a man named Jesus. That you can have an identity with him. All that other stuff, it's supposed to build us toward Jesus. Sometimes it does, sometimes it takes away and distracts from him. But I'm asking this question. Are you at peace? Have you surrendered? Do you believe in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only one who can forgive your sin? That's the question. If you can say yes to that, then maybe today for the first time or for a time of certainty, you say, I'm in then I want you to do that right now, right where you are. Lord, I confess my life's sins because I believe you are the Messiah. You're the king who came. You're the God-man who laid down your life and your blood was spilt so mine doesn't have to be. And I believe it and I confess it and I hold on to that truth. And he'll show you the rest of the stuff. But you hold on to that truth. And you proclaim that as a believer now in the claims of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I felt sort of all week that, that this next kind of prayer moment would be for those who, here's the word that kept coming to me, people need a savior. And usually when we say that, we mean to be saved because of the blood of the lamb, Jesus. But I don't mean it that way right now. I mean it that you're in a difficult situation. We actually prayed about it earlier in our prayer time, but I want to take a moment and, and, and pray again and talk more about it. You're in a specific moment in your life where you need a Savior to give you either wisdom, understanding, release, redemption, a way out, or courage. 
to face what it is you're facing right now. I don't mean a lifetime of things. I mean, something's happened right now, financially, relationally, whatever it is. And you would say, I want you to pray for me. I want my church, my brothers and sisters, my family to pray for me in this moment, this season, this time. I need a savior in this moment. If that's you, could you just slip up a hand and let us pray over you right now that God would really make it clear. You, God bless you. God bless you. You can put them right back down. It's not for me. Church, we're family. We call it our living room. Let's just agree together. If you didn't raise your hand, agree with me as I lead us in a prayer. Lord, we know you are our Savior in the sense that, yes, we are forgiven of sin, but also as one who comes alongside and brings us wisdom, brings us understanding of a circumstance that we're in, we find ourselves in, be it our fault or no fault of our own. Either way, you're there. And I ask that you would give some the courage to hit it head on with truth. Others, Lord, would you make a way out for them? Would you do a miracle that they might escape this horrible thing that's come upon them? Would you give them a plan to go forward? Would you be that kind of a savior in their life today? Show them that plan throughout this week and help them to walk in obedience, to listen to your voice and to trust in your word because you love them more than anyone else loves them and you believe in them more than anyone else believes in them. So let them hold on to that this week. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>